Hello everyone, my name is Dora and this is the Storm with Dora Talks podcast. I believe in the power of storytelling and I believe that we can change people's perspective through deep and, and honest conversations. I want you to know that I'm not a professional in this field, not at all, but still I would like to help others to feel less alone and simply encourage people to just talk about their problems and feelings because it is okay to talk. In this episode, I'm going to talk with Rosa Tard. She's a friend of mine. I have known her since 2016. We met in a Canadian children camp, Camp Walden. It is such a special place to be and it is a great and wonderful community that you can belong to if you want. You can hear more about this community later on and the power of belonging can help a lot in your journey. In 2019, Rose uh, lost her husband, the unique and amazing aging ones. Her story, their story, will definitely break your heart. But I hope that it will inspire you, dear listener, to make changes in your life and just simply be there for those who need help around you. Just be there and listen. Can you tell us about AJ Nuance? How long did he struggle with his mental illness? I have a lot of trouble referring to him in past tense. His presence conveys a message of like a little bit of a mean attitude kind of guy. Then you get to know him and that's not him at all. He's quiet. He's gentle. He's the type of person that gives you the shirt off of his back. He wouldn't stop for one second to not help somebody along any pathway. All of these things that I've just mentioned also put AJ in a category of being selfless, not knowing how to be selfish. Jay suffered from anxiety and depression. As he got older and we progressed in our relationship and in our marriage, things got tough. Finances is hard. Managing hardships is hard. All of those acted as layers in AJ's life. And we would shed those layers by going to therapy, couples counseling, or we would have really intense conversations. But for AJ, he didn't know how to communicate his emotions. Maybe it was out of fear, embarrassment, not wanting to feel weak. But the one thing I knew that it was that he never wanted to be a burden to anybody, including me. It was the last three years of AJ's life where really his depression and his anxiety surfaced. He was open to me about it. He said to me, Rose, I'm suicidal. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm a doer. So I went into mode. I was like, okay, I'm so happy that you were brave enough to say those words to me. Now we have to get you help. He was submitted into the hospital for 72-hour observation. They told AJ and I that on the suicide scale, he was on the low end. I was shocked. I thought that, that we would have been red flagged or he would have been red flagged and we would have been given more solutions, more results. There are cases that are way more severe than AJ. I can understand this scale, but that whole conversation and that moment in time goes back to this constant fight that our world has. And it's a stigma that nobody is hearing you when you say out loud, I need help. He was brave enough to speak his words out loud and say, I am broken. I need help. And to be told by 
a doctor, because as society says, the doctors are right, we go, okay, I guess I'll go home now. We spent many months of managing dosages of antidepressants, anxiety medication. AJ was thrown headfirst into therapy and seeing his therapist twice a week, which was good. The biggest magic that came from AJ was he threw himself into a massive weight loss journey. And that weight loss journey was simply for himself for nobody else. And he would take his crap out on a treadmill. He would run 5k a day and he would work out for two hours a day. That was his way of getting it out there. AJ also suffered an unfortunate trauma. And that unfortunate trauma was a falling out he had had with his father. AJ is an only child and he and his dad have always had this relationship of best friends of talk every single day, multiple times a day. And I believe strongly through many conversations with AJ, that trauma broke his heart. It weakened him as a man. It didn't allow for him to see how good he is. He was working on that trauma with his therapist. The therapist can only help as much as the patient is telling them. AJ to be somebody who's like quiet and didn't want to even burden his therapist. But I'm like, oh, you're going to therapy for a reason. Like, do it, say it, be it. There was just a lot of growth and learning along the way that neither one of us were educated with. A lot of people don't know that AJ's suicide attempt was his second attempt. And his first attempt was actually three years ago today, November 11, 2018. We used to say that his mind was foggy and we created this grid that he would communicate to me over text message how foggy he was. He would send me heart emojis. Each heart emoji, the color would associate with, I'm good, I'm bad, I need some time, I need some space, I need help, I need hospital. Because he didn't have the words sometimes to say, I need help. So we created this grid, this Morse code that we talk. As I look back in our relationship, the hardest time of the year for us were always November, December, they were leading up to Christmas and AJ's birthdays in December, my birthdays in November. We were having one of our hard moments and we were shedding lots of great conversation, great truths to each other. And I was just expressing to AJ that a feeling of like, I don't know who the person is that's standing in front of me. I fell in love with a man and I don't recognize this person anymore. I know that you're in there, but where are you? And I need you. And he looked me in the eye and he said to me, Rose, I cannot emotionally be there for you because I can barely emotionally be there for myself. And here we are in this broken society that crumbles at the word of I need help. And it's terrifying. How did he look at himself after the first attempt? The other thing that I didn't mention is that AJ in that year, so that was November, in that September, he had started school. In 2016, AJ was injured at work. He was told, you cannot work in the same industry as you've been working in. You're broken. He's being fed by so many avenues, being told he's not worthy enough of anything. How does a man stand tall being told? You can't do this. You're not good at this. You're going to fail at this. You can't do Like, 
It was too but much for him. It broke him. He couldn't see all the love and light standing in front of him because in our society, men are the breadwinner. Men bring home the money. Men work the hardest. Men provide. In our household, it was the opposite. And I never looked at it like Rose is the breadwinner. It's like, okay, we have to do what we need to do to like provide for our family's life. And that's how AJ and I functioned. But all these layers just brought on more fog. But there was some light in there. And the light was this. He went back to school. I left my Camp Walden job and took some time off. And then I got a job working at our local college. I was in job security. We were traveling. Milo was at summer camp. AJ and I looked at each other. We're like, oh my God, like things are working out for us. Our love was so deep. Our marriage was growing. Enter November. AJ attempts suicide. I said to AJ, you need to come up for some air. You need a break. So then the semester ended and he was off school for a month. We laid low for Christmas for his birthday. His birthday is in December. And come January, I just said to AJ, like, we need to put a new plan in place for you. We need to develop some systems in our household that can support you and not put so much pressure on you. Get back to the gym, regiment on medication, and things were good. There were a few ups and downs, and that's okay because AJ was also getting the tools at therapy on how to manage his triggers, which was great. But there was this still underlining darkness, cloud, fog of suicidal thoughts. And he would tell me that his mind would wander and then it would come back. He knew how to bring himself back. Our last summer together, Milo went to Walden for a month. We were home together, just him and I, for the first time in 16 years. We'd always had somebody living with us that August. AJ applied for his quote-unquote dream job, and he got the job. Milo turned eight. We had a big party. He was glowing. He was so happy. He was also, like, probably at his lowest weight. He was not dabbling in any, like, substance abuse. He was on the straight and narrow. And then November, the one-year mark rolled around from when he made his first attempt. And also that December, AJ was turning 35. AJ hated his birthday. Why? He hated any of the attention being on him. And so I said to AJ, you know, you're turning 35. He says, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, but we have to. Like, it's your birthday. And we have a small child who believes in celebrating birthdays. And he loves you. And he's like, I just don't want to celebrate it, Rose. Don't pressure me. And I said to him, okay. But I feel like it's extra important to celebrate November. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, November 11th. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, November 11th was when you made your first suicide, when you had your suicide attempt. And here we are a year later and you're great. You're better. That's something like a rebirth. I don't know. I don't feel comfortable. Okay, let's just leave it. And we wouldn't continue the conversation. As we got through November, something changed in AJ. I couldn't figure it out. I thought that we were probably in one of our cycles. Did you have like any bad feeling in advance? My intuition was saying to me like, Rose, there's a ripple coming. I was at work and he was at work. I texted him and I just said, AJ, there's nothing you cannot tell me. And I will not judge you. I will not think less of you. 
I am always and forever going to be here for you, like no matter what. But in fact, it was the exact opposite. He was infatuated with our love, with our relationship. And he loved me, loves me and Milo and our family more than anything in the whole wide world. I believe so much like in my heart that that's what's kept him alive for so long. I looked back on the last month or seven weeks of AJ's life and he had a plan. He put everything together and things that he insisted on. Like we celebrated his mom's 60th birthday. Okay. One thing. He was so insistent on getting all of the Christmas shopping done. He insisted on making Lindsay a big pizza party for her birthday. But AJ, we don't need, nope, 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 nope. He insisted that we go for family bowling. I was like, we never go, like, what are we doing? He's like, nope, let's go on a family outing. Me, you, Lindsay, Milo, we're going bowling. Then we're going to go have chicken wings. Okay, sounds good. It was all this time with Milo, go to karate. They would go out together, just the two of them. Takes me out for a lunch date. And we just sat in silence. And to the point where I was like, are you okay? Why are you so quiet? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just enjoying you, holding hands. He was always this person that would hold my hand across the table. We'd hold hands and sit in silence and eat this great, beautiful meal. He had a plan in place. He lived the last seven weeks of his life exactly how he wanted to. Did you forgive him? Do I forgive him? That's a big one. No, I don't. And I know that I need to. I'm not there yet. I don't think anybody who dies by suicide understands the ripple effect that they leave behind. This is not the life I signed up for. Your life is a massive blackboard, okay? And you write things on it. And then you meet somebody and together you write things on it. He erased our blackboard without my permission, without my consent, without my conversation, without my knowledge. He just did it. The only thing that's on the blackboard is Milo's name. I do not accept his death. And I never, ever will. But he's my best friend, my husband. He's the father to our son. And I have to support him. And this is something I have to support, is that he wanted. And who am I to take that away? His mind was broken. He was so foggy that this is the only thing that he could control in his life was his own exit. The best version of AJ is happening from above right now. He's guiding us. He's everywhere we go. Of people just talking about death. Okay, like nobody talks about that. We all talk about, you give birth to a baby. Oh, you got married. Oh, you graduated. Oh, you died. Oh, your friend died. Nobody talks about that. This has like made me talk about death and grief. I'm smiling right now. My heart is broken. I also have learned since AJ's death not to force things. Now it's just like, Rose, stop and let it be. It will come. I'm so lucky to be married to a man who loves me no matter where he is. His death happened to the wrong person, but also to the right person. Can you remember the moment when you started to share your thoughts on the Facebook My last post was on uh, December 20th, 2019. And I said, I have no words. When I do, I'll say more. 
our life was on social media. I needed to crawl into a hole and be private. My husband's death rippled more than I ever imagined. I felt really guilty that I was posting photos on social media that were not always telling the truth. And in some photos, our family was broken. There was no avoiding the grief and the void that AJ left in my life and anybody's life. Like it just, it's impossible. And grief is like a tidal wave that comes out of nowhere. Here's my grief. Here's my life. And then the pandemic came and my grief was telling me like, you've got to grieve, but you also have to be a productive member of society and go to work every day and send your kid to school, get dressed, put makeup on and be Susie cream cheese, even though you were completely shattered inside. I felt alone and sad and people would reach out to me, you know, Facebook messages, text messages, emails flooded with all kinds of communications that were so comforting, but I couldn't bring myself. I wasn't ready to be open, to be there. I never fully understood the power and the connections that we had in our respective communities until this moment. I had this preconceived notion in my head that I was under a microscope and that people were going to judge me. And I was scared to be authentic Rose. I felt that any room that I went into, I had this neon sign that just said like widow. It took a year and a half before I finally mustered up the courage. It's okay to be me standing in front of anybody who will listen and say like, my heart is broken. My husband died of suicide. I am a survivor of suicide and to not shy away from that. We have a story to tell. We have a perspective to share. There has to be some sort of light that's pulled out of this darkness. I will do it. And I want people to read what we I write or feel something. And maybe, just maybe, it changes a narrative for somebody and they come out on the other side. Hundreds and thousands of people die of suicide, but we just don't say it out loud. Everywhere I go, I want to make an impact, whether it be through conversation, a text message, through simple eye contact, through having great conversations like this, I want to make an impact for my husband and for men who are struggling just like AJ and to create some noise. Can you tell me how Milo reacted? I didn't tell Milo right away how his dad died. It was really important to me that Milo came to the hospitals. Through the guidance of Saul and my best friend, Michael, who is a social worker, we discussed how to tell Milo that his dad had been injured. The accident that his dad was in, it hurt his brain and it hurt his heart because AJ was in a neck brace when Milo saw him and he was on life support. So he was being help breathing and there's monitors. And so I wanted Milo to be told words that, that could associate with, with what he could see. Because that's how kids absorb data. Milo was eight years old at that time. He saw what was in front of him. He asked the like, is my dad going to be okay? He asked the juvenile questions that every young person would ask. I don't think he understood or could absorb the severity of how sick his dad was. We had a half an hour visit in the hospital on the Monday. AJ took his own life on Sunday. He was in the hospital on Monday through till Thursday. And Milo was good. He was like, okay, we'll just wait to see what happens. He was very matter of fact in a way that I knew that wasn't traumatic. 
And then a team of people that came in to look after him for the week that we were in the hospital. We're talking days before Christmas. So it was like, take care of this small boy who's going through the most traumatic experience of his life. When I told him AJ died, he came to the hospital on the Thursday. I should also add that on that Monday, on Milo's way out of AJ's hospital room, he met our doctor, AJ's doctor, who was Dr. Bishop. The universe gave us this doctor. He was the most beautiful, brilliant man I had ever met in my life. He helped the process in a way that was not medical. It was all emotional and professional. He got down on one knee and he introduced himself to Milo. And I said to Milo, Milo, this is Dr. Bishop. He's looking after daddy and he's doing everything possible with his team of people to make sure that daddy is safe. And Milo put out his hand and shook the doctor's hand. And he said, I just wanted to say thank you so much for everything you're doing to take care of my dad. And that just goes to show you this boy is magic. I sat him down and I said, the doctors did everything possible to keep your daddy alive, but it it just wasn't enough. And daddy passed away. A lot of that conversation, I can't close my eyes and see because that was not the most impactful conversation that I was going to have with Milo. It was when I tell him that his dad died by suicide. That happened this past October. I needed Milo to be in a space in in maturity level where he could understand mental health, mental illness. He could understand suicide, but he could also understand that his dad is not weak, that his dad is not broken. His dad is not a sad man. What his dad did is actually heroic, someone who is strong and selfish in a good way. That took almost two years to formulate that conversation. I also just wanted Milo to like live this life in a bubble for one minute of my dad died. He had an accident and I don't know any of the details, but I just know that he had an accident and my dad died. And it was a lot for him to say that out loud. To go to school and say like, you've been gone for a couple of weeks. Like what happened? Oh, my dad died. I wanted him to have the courage to be able to say that out loud without fear or judgment. I also wasn't ready to tell him the truth for my own selfish reasons, that I was not ready to have that conversation because I was still absorbing the trauma. So for selfish reasons, I kept it close. One year went by and I still wasn't feeling ready. Thankfully, this summer, Milo had the ability to go to summer camp, Like he just needed a normal summer. I worked that summer with Milo's therapist and with my therapist on how to tell Milo. I had a vision, I had a plan in my head that Milo was going to come back from camp. He will have had amazing summer space for me and just being a strong, independent little boy playing outside in the best place in the world. And I will have had a summer by myself to be cathartic, to lean into the summer of Rose, to grieve openly, because a lot of my time when Milo is around, I grieve quietly and silently because I don't want him to be worried about me. I grew and became strong enough to be the mom I am meant to be. AJ has trained me for this. I had in my mind, like, I'm going to take him to a beautiful spot. Maybe we'll go to AJ's field. Maybe we'll sit on a dock. Again, tried to control a situation that just needed to organically happen. Milo and I were driving in the car. Now Milo's old enough to sit in the front seat. We often talk about his father. 
want Milo to grow up in an environment that he can freely say, like, I miss my dad or I'm mad that my dad's dead. And the person who's receiving that information can help him. I just said to Milo, do you wonder about your dad's death? Of course I do, but nobody knows any information. Like, we just know that he had an accident. And that's right, mommy, right? And I was like, this is it. This is the time. Milo, do you know about mental health? And he gave me the most textbook answer. Milo, do you know about anxiety or depression? Gave me the most textbook answer. Milo, do you know about suicide? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know about suicide. I I actually follow this girl on TikTok, and she talks about how she has mental health and she has anxiety, and she's thought about suicide, but she's on medication, and, like, she doesn't think about it. Do you know that there's a bridge in uh, San Francisco that a lot of people jump off of to kill themselves? And, And sometimes they survive. Okay. We're having this very open, honest conversation. Milo, do you remember like on daddy's iPhone, his alarm used to go off and it would say, take pills? Yeah. Your dad was on medication. What for? Because your dad had mental health. He did? Yeah. He suffered from depression and anxiety. Oh, so his pills were meant to help him. Oh, okay. Your dad went to therapy. He did? Yeah, he went to therapy just like me, just like you, just like a lot of people that we know to talk about his feelings and his emotions. Oh, interesting. I said, Milo, your dad died by suicide. And I was looking straight. The most brilliant thing about talking to kids in the car is that you don't have to maintain eye contact. Because maintaining eye contact is the scariest thing ever, especially for a little kid. I said to him, Milo, I want you to know you can ask me anything. You can say anything to me. You can be mad. You can be sad. It's normal to feel angry. It's normal to feel relief. It's okay to want to like yell. And he was crying. And I was crying. And he said to me, did you know about this the entire time? I said, yes. But I knew that you could not know the truth. Because you were little when your dad died. You were younger. You weren't as mature as you are now. You needed to have the knowledge and the education inside of you to be able to understand this part of your life. And I wanted to set you up for success. In order for me to be a good mommy to you, I also needed to be in a spot where I could be ready to answer your questions. And for many, many months, I was not ready. But I'm ready now. Your dad loves you unconditionally, no matter what. You can ask me anything. And he said to me, mommy, he said, did my dad do the suicide or did the mental health make my dad die? And I said to Milo, as a survivor of suicide, it's your job. It's your decision how you want to answer that question. In my heart, what I believe is your dad died from mental health, that his illness broke him. There was nothing that anybody could do to fix it. I don't accept daddy's death, but as his wife, as his best friend, as his partner, I support the decision that he made. And I don't like it, but this is not about me. This is about daddy. And I believe in my heart that daddy's free of all of his ailments and that he's happy and he's healthy and he's safe and that he's looking after us and that he's with us everywhere we go. And then... Tears rolling down his face. He said to me, Mommy, I don't give a fuck how my dad died. 
it doesn't change how sad I am. I'll be okay, but it makes me sad to think of how sad my dad was. It just goes to show you like how resilient kids are and how they just see through the bullshit. We raised him in a household that is open to conversation, that nothing is off the table until it's off the table. And you shouldn't be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations with your kids. And the relief I feel that I'm not holding on to this secret, we just talk about it openly and we can say suicide in the house. And, and I say to Milo, you're a survivor of suicide. Then I proceeded to tell him the community that loves us. People we've never even met who have reached out to me because of one post that I made on Instagram and the money that we raised for CAMH and the beautiful community that asks about us and wants to take care of us and loves your dad and loves you and AJ's Field and Camp Walden and the magic and force and light that surrounds us everywhere we go. We are so beyond lucky, all because. AJ and I walked through life be trying our best to be good people. Look what happens when you be your authentic self and you present to the world you. Look what you get in return. I could not imagine going through AJ's death, going through this grief without our community. I would not be standing here today. I would not be talking to you. I wouldn't have the courage. I try to say to Milo, like, you shouldn't be afraid to advocate for yourself and for who you are. And this really unfortunate part of your story, it's also part of your story. There's some magic there. And I said to him, like, we will advocate for the rest of our lives. We will stand up and champion for your dad. And you and I will link arms and we will advocate for men's mental health and suicide awareness and prevention. He has a hard time saying suicide. Still, I said to him, when somebody says to you, like, how did your dad die? You can say he died from an accident. And you know in your heart that you're not ready to say suicide yet. And that's okay. But I want you to be brave enough to say it. And I'll warn you that a lot of people are like, what? And they're uncomfortable. But it's okay. Because we are good with dealing at uncomfortable. We are good at taking care of people who are uncomfortable. And that's what we'll do. Okay, mommy. Okay, mommy these honest conversations that are flourishing and I know that AJ would be so proud of where we're going. I couldn't imagine not saying anything and living quietly. That's not why God put me on this earth. I want to make it lighter. My trauma did not traumatize me. It made me weak, suffer silently, like lots of memory loss, but it also gave me the courage to face the consequences of my trauma in the face. Was it like a transformation for you? A hundred percent. I sometimes struggle with missing old Rose. I say old Rose. Old Rose prior to AJ's death. Like, I love that girl. But I love me more today. I had to go through this to be who I am today. And I have the strength and the voice. And I just want to walk through life bringing good things to the table and not shying away from the ugly conversations and shedding light on things that matter. Nobody ever talks about men, ever. I go through AJ's Facebook quite often because it brings me comfort. He was secretly leaving a trail of breadcrumbs about his story. Every now and then he would talk about suicide, his mental health. And I just thought, oh my gosh, he's getting a little bit braver. 
he made a post on December 18th, 2018. If anybody is suffering by suicide, I'm here for you. Call this number. One year later, he dies from suicide. You just don't know who's going through what and who is traveling with what emotional, physical, mental trauma. What would you say to someone who even lost their loved ones or someone who is dealing with mental illness? I would tell others to ask the tough questions, to look somebody in the eye and say, like, are you okay? And you can tell me anything. You are not alone. Asking the tough conversations people need to be more comfortable with. We need to be, as a society, more comfortable with being uncomfortable around the people we love. Because people need to know how loved they are. Thank you.